welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. I'm going to read from a parable where Jesus used a parable to teach followers, actually to teach about followers that would not taste God's kingdom, not taste the supper that God had planned for them, which is a covenant meal of salvation and kingdom access. It's a surprising teaching that He does. It's confronting, but I believe it's relevant for every one of us. So I'm gonna read from there. Are you ready? When they heard this, one of the dinner guests said to Jesus, someday God will have a kingdom feast and how happy and privileged will be the ones to get to share in that joy. Jesus replied with this parable, There was a man who invited many to join him on a great feast. When the day came for the feast, when the day for the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, Come, for everything is now ready for you. But one by one, they all made excuses. One said, I can't come. I've just bought some property and I'm obligated to go and look it over. Another said, please accept my regrets for I just purchased five teams of oxen and I need to make sure they can pull the plough. (laughs) Another one said, I can't come because I just got married. The servant reported back to the host and told him of all their excuses. So the master became angry and said to his servant, Go at once throughout the city. Invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting and the lonely and invite them to my banquet. When the servant returned to his master, he said, Sir, I have done what you've asked, but there's still room for more. So the master told him, All right, go out again. And this time bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars on the streets, the outcasts, even the homeless. Urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. I say to you, the one who receives an invitation to the feast with me, and makes excuses, will never enjoy my banquet. Don't you find it confronting? Don't you find it strong? It's interesting that the first three kinds of people that Jesus spoke about making excuses were property owners, business owners and newlyweds. And it's kind of almost like Jesus picks the ones with the most almost valid excuses. You can't expect me to come now. I've just got married. You can't expect me to come now. I've just bought a house, a property. Sorry, you can't expect me to make a commitment now. I've just bought a business. What do they all have in common? Well, they placed a higher value on other commitments than they did on their relationship with God. They believed an excuse could justify their indifference. They didn't have a problem with making commitments. Clearly, they didn't have a problem with making commitments. They just bought land, bought property. They just made the biggest commitment, the biggest real estate purchase you could ever make, marriage. It's kind of lifetime commitment. Buy in. I know you can't buy love. Okay, don't judge me. You're all Christians. You're not going to do that. I understand that. But... Do you know what I'm saying? They didn't have a problem with making a commitment. Their problem was they put earthly commitments above their commitment to God. And as you look at that 
I think all of us can kind of just step back for a moment and go, I, mm, yeah, okay, I could probably be prone to do that from time to time. They put wealth before worship. They put work ahead of fellowship and courtship ahead of covenant. Wealth ahead of worship, work ahead of fellowship, courtship above covenant. Hey, Jesus doesn't stop there. It's kind of almost like Jesus, have you ever heard about the bathtub principle? You know, start with something good, do something kind of negative, then end with something good. You know, that's good communication. But Jesus kind of doesn't go there. He continues. Would you like me to read? Doesn't matter, I've got the mic, I'm going to do it. So I just thought I'd ask for permission first. In verse 25, a massive, as massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, Father, uh, he turned to them and said, When you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to to be considered one of my followers. Now, if you stop there and you don't understand the entire context, uh, especially if you're visiting, you might be shouting right now, Colt. <laughs> like, come on, let's be honest. You know, Christians, we're not supposed to be narrow-minded. We're supposed to be open-minded enough to see the whole picture from every angle and then actually understand the character of God and explain from that the intent of God that's coming through. And here he says, you know what? I want you to put aside everyone and everything, even yourself, to be my follower. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be one of my disciples. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise, we may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbours will ridicule him, saying, look at him, he started to build, but couldn't complete it. Can I give you the context, remind you? Here Jesus is saying, hey, to the crowds, it's easy to show up in a crowd. He's saying basically, it's easy to show up to the event. It's easy to show up and hear a motivational uh, uh, speech. It's easy to show up and be part of the fellowship that's going on. But actually, if you wanna continue in this journey and be a follower of mine, a disciple of Christ, then you're gonna need to understand that I've gotta be at the top of every one of your priorities. I've got to be at the top of every one of you. You've got to be prepared to put me above everything else. And if you do that, I promise you, if you do that, I'll make everything else good. But you'll never do it unless you get me at the top in the place of worship, in the place of fellowship, in the place of following me. Crowds gather, but disciples follow. Crowds are concerned about the cost, disciples pay the price. Once you have a foundation in God, He expects you to build a spiritual building that is your life in Christ. It's so powerful there when you look at it that He said, hey, you might get the foundation laid. Can I pause for a moment? Talk to those of us that know and have been around a little while. It's not just about getting your foundations in Christ. He actually says, build your foundations for sure. But the purpose of the foundation is to complete an entire structure, spiritual life on top of that. And that does not happen by just showing up, clapping hands and and asking if it was a good message. 
It doesn't happen by showing up and going, mm, this is okay, but can't really afford to get here every week. I'll get here when I can. It's actually up to you to take on the responsibility now that the foundation is in there to build a structure called a spiritual life that is centred around Christ, in Christ, and there you'll be able to go through the storms of life and not be taken out because you've built on a, built on a solid foundation. But don't be tricked into thinking thinking because I've done the foundational course, I've got it on lock. No, you haven't got it on lock. You're just ready to build the rest of your spiritual life in God. And this life is a life where we carry a cross. There's sacrifice. But it pays more than it costs to follow Christ. The Apostle Paul started stated that reaching people for Christ required much sacrifice. He made this statement in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. How powerful is that? I will gladly spend. That's like I will give and I will spend and be spent. I will sacrifice for your souls. And I'm just thankful for the team of pastors and leaders that we have here that just are prepared over the long haul to spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. I just wanna remind us all that we're building a spiritual home for people, that the Bible says we are living stones. Uh, that doesn't mean anything nice really because it means block upon block we've been put together. And there's gotta there's got be lots of mortar called love to help us stay together. But we are solid people that stay in position and we build a spiritual house, both in our private homes, but also corporately as a church. I'm so glad for C3 Rockingham, aren't you? But I'm thinking about the day that I'm gonna be on a screen somewhere where somebody says, Claude has graduated. That's a morbid thought for you, I know. But actually, if you're going to carry the responsibility you've been given, I want to know that beyond that day, this place and others like it will continue because we've built them with solid blocks of living stones that can carry on, that we can go into a future. Because I know that the government isn't going to shake down and provide for us one day, that no other rich millionaire is going to say, you know, I like what you're doing over there. Chunk, here you go. That should look after you for the next... 10 years, it's gonna be each and every one of us continuing on this journey of commitment to building the house of God. And as we build His house, we know that He builds ours. So we're not a cult. As far as I know, I've been checking it out. We're not. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, here comes the good news. You could just probably get excited about. Here comes the good news. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Listen to my words, Jesus said, anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses me over children, parents, family and possessions, all for the sake of the Gospel, it will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime. Homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, possessions, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, he will inherit eternal life. I'm so thankful that our giving and our sacrifice, as far as God's concerned, when it's done for His kingdom and for the sake of the gospel, He guarantees that He'll give it back to us for this, because we've given it for the sake of the gospel. 
I'm so thankful that He says He'll give it back a hundred times over in this lifetime. Not in the sweets by and by in the sky after, but now in this lifetime. He guarantees we'll get it back a hundred times over. He redeems our family. He gives us back the best version of our family. He doesn't want us to be alienated from our families. He wants us to have Him as the highest priority. None of us, once being called to Christ, have been commanded by Christ to leave our families. He wasn't saying that. He said, put them aside. Don't put them in in centre of you. Put me in centre of you. You, you, you may be distant for a while because they're off there living their own crazy life away from you. You may be distant for a while, but if you'll put me first at the top, highest priority, highest in value, I'll make sure that I redeem your life and your family and I'll bring them back. When He says, I'm gonna give you back family, mothers, brothers, all hundred times over, He's gonna give you the best version of your family as you put Him first. Hello, somebody. It's never going to happen if you put family first because you make family God and we all know that family makes a really bad God. Hello? So He says, as you do this, you'll get it back a hundred times over. He redeems your possessions. He's not against you having possessions. He's against possessions having you. And so He'll redeem that possession material world in a way so that your life can be blessed, protected and perpetually prosperous. How good is that? That you could live a blessed life, a protected life. Here in stories just at the coffee bar about someone being protected in a situation. They were going here instead. They just decided not going there. They went over here and they're protected from a very dangerous situation. That's what God wants to do for you. I, I, lo- I love the fact that He says you'll receive it in this lifetime. And I know that some of us on this faith journey can say, yeah, Claude, I know what you're talking about. I've tried that, done that for years and I just can't see it happening. Let me tell you, once you engage the process, the process will ensure that it happens. And God says that the process is seed, time, harvest. That we're in that zone of life, but your harvest comes from your heart. Some people say, oh, I gave and I gave continually, but that ministry mustn't have been good ground because I didn't receive my harvest. You have been taught incorrectly according to the Word of God. According to the Word of God, when you act on the Word, it is a seed and that seed gets planted in your heart. Your heart is the ground. Let me say it to you this way, the condition of your heart determines the quality and the quantity of your harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. It's the condition of it's out of the condition of your heart that the harvest comes. And if that heart is full of faith, and if that heart is set in the right direction, you will see the harvest. The harvest is guaranteed. It's like I am so thankful that all I've got to do is engage in the process, respect the process, and the harvest will come. I reckon he's doing all right today, don't you? My wife and I, when we were first married, we went into chef farming room in, in agriculture and that's my background and we were flying along so well and everything was going great until the day we could not afford to put seed back in the ground. Our business closed when we could no longer afford seed. Why? Because it hijacked the process of seed time and harvest. You're not poor 
when you have no money. You're poor when you have no seed. While there is seed, there is hope. While heaven and earth remains cold and heat, night and day, God said, so shall seed, time and harvest. And why is that? Because God turns sowers into reapers. I love the fact that He turns sowers into reapers. I've heard of one of our souls recently being praying for unexpected income and then they discovered at their work that they were entitled to 12 weeks of long service leave that they hadn't been told about before. They ring me so excited. I've heard of professionals that have secured higher paying employment contracts after being headhunted by other companies. Business owners that have secured profitable contracts in difficult markets. Everyday mums and dads that have tax bills wiped out, school fees gifted to them and received life-changing inheritances. I wanna tell you, it's because God knows how to turn sowers into reapers. Do not misunderstand me. You're not called to be a sower only. You're called to be a reaper and experience the blessing of the harvest. So as we come into land today, which for a preacher like me means I've got about six minutes to go. Can you handle that? Uh, As we come into land, let me read this verse to you and and give you a couple of thoughts. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust decay or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. In two Sundays time on the 25th of August, we're gonna invite everyone that calls this place home to join us in a special offering called Vision Builders, where we continue to do all those things that we've done for the last 25 odd years. We can invite you to join with us. And we don't wanna do it glibly. We don't wanna do it rashly. We wanna do it with thought, with conversation, and then make a commitment. So as I come into land, could I ask you, number one, to pray? Would you pray and take time in your own prayer time and hear God's voice regarding sowing into God's vision where we're going into the future? Would you pray about what you might be able to do over and above what you're already doing in your regular giving to build into the house of God? Would you talk, number two, would you talk with your spouse or significant other and agree on what you can commit to together? I love it when husbands and wives do this. When I say with your significant other, I'm thinking about people that have business partners, family members, maybe you're an adult child growing up in your family home and you already have your thoughts around money and values and those things. And so I would say, talk with them. Let me, let me say that people that are not in Christ will not understand the intent of this. Over the last 25 years, I've heard the best excuses. During the boom time, I had good, um, sincere people. You know, you can be good and sincere and sincerely wrong. Good, sincere people come to me, oh, Pastor, you shouldn't talk about money because, you know, people get the wrong idea. They think we're after their money. That was during the boom time. So, oh, Pastor, be careful. You know, you know, you don't want people getting the idea that you're that prosperity preacher. And I go, well, I am. In the context of, 
I believe God wants people to prosper. I mean, there's a whole lot of negative stuff around it, but what's the alternative? I teach people that we're called to poverty, people. It's holy to go without. What's the alternative? And then when, when things get financially tough, oh, pastor, it's tough out there. You can't teach on it. People got no money. Oh, that's interesting. They got money for other things. So I just like to talk about it. Would you pray and hear God's voice for yourself? Would you, would you talk with your significant other about what you might be able to commit to? And then would you commit and see this as one of the highest commitments you can make? My wife and I are so committed in this area, not to blow trumpets, but just to talk reality that we had an income drop at the beginning of the year and our giving stayed the same. We kept it at the same level. You know what that really meant in the eyes of God? Our giving went up. It stayed the same, but it went up. Do you know what I mean? Because you just hold the line. And as you hold the line, God tips the balance in your favour. And so I'm sitting here having a second experience with the thought of running out of seed spiritually. The first one back in the farm. The second one back in the best farm I've ever worked within, this one. Because the Bible refers to me as a farmer, depositing the seed of God's Word into the hearts of people today. Holding the line, keeping the seed going in. And stand here going, oh my gosh, I'm in the best position ever. There is a harvest due. Would you pray? Would you talk? Would you commit? And then would you join us on the 25th of August as we ask God to accept our offering which is special. Bless it as we do it as a united force moving forward. There's two phases of that Sunday that we believe God has spoken to us about. I believe God has spoken to us about. One is a wave offering in the Old Testament. It's kind of like getting God's attention, worship. And the other one's called a heave offering. It's like, it's not a, it doesn't sound good, hey? Because when we think of heave, heave. And admittedly, offering time makes some people want to throw up. But this heave offering is because it came from the thigh of the ram. And it wasn't so easy to get on the altar of sacrifice. It literally had to be heaved on. The wave came from the breast. The wave offering was the breast of the ram. And it was, hey God, don't forget us. This is worship. Which is kind of what we do every week, huh? You might be asking why people lifting their hands earlier. They're kind of like, hey, waving from Rockingham, God, don't forget us. Here we are, worshipping you. Best day of the week. Best time to go to the cafe and sit out over the ocean, have breakfast as a family. We're not doing that. We're here in church worshipping. But then the heave offering was the breakthrough offering for the ministry and for the people. So we're going to believe God with that. And I'd love it if you would take the time to pray, to talk, make a commitment and then join us as we make that commitment in that evening service. We're putting on dinner for everyone with a potluck dinner and we're going to celebrate together. I'd love it if you could join us. Let me pray for you where you are. Father, thank you right now for your word. Thank you for us being able to witness the incredible dedication of children. 
Thank you for the miracle stories in who was on stage, Father, of families being put back together, children being put back together with their mother, husband and wives joining together. Father, we ask that you continue to work through us, that you would use us to share your love with a world that needs it more than ever before. Help us to stay true to what you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.